Introduction to the Black Star Passes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Ziegler. The Black Star Passes by John Campbell. Introduction. These stories were written nearly a quarter of a century ago for the old Amazing Stories magazine. The essence of any magazine is not its name, but its philosophy, its purpose. That old Amazing Stories is long since gone. The magazine of the same name today is different as the times today are different from the world of 1930. Science fiction was new in 1930. Atomic energy was a dream we all believed in and space travel was something we tried to understand better. Today, science fiction has become a broad field. Atomic energy, despite the feelings of many present adults, is no dream. Nor is it a nightmare. It's simply a fact. And calling it a nightmare is another form of effort to push it out of reality. In 1930, the only audience for science fiction was among those who were still young enough in spirit to be willing to hope and speculate on a new and wider future, and in 1930 that meant almost nothing but teenagers. It meant that the brightest group of teenagers, youngsters who were willing to play with ideas and understandings of physics and chemistry and astronomy, that most of their contemporaries considered too hard work. I grew up with that group. The stories I wrote over the years, and later, the stories I bought for Astounding Science Fiction changed and grew more mature, too. Astounding Science Fiction today has many of the audience that read those early stories. They're not high school and college students anymore, of course, but professional engineers, technologists, and researchers now. Naturally, for them we need a totally different kind of story. In growing with them, I and my work had to lose much of the enthusiastic scope that went with the earlier science fiction. When a young man goes to college, he's apt to say, I want to be a scientist, or I want to be an engineer. But his concepts are broad and generalized. Most major technical schools, well knowing this, have the first year course for all students the same. Only in the second and subsequent years does specialization start. By the sophomore year, a student may say, I want to be a chemical engineer. At graduation, he may say, I'm going into chemical engineering construction. Ten years later, he may explain that he's a chemical engineer specializing in the construction of corrosion-resistant structures, such as the electroplating baths and pickling tanks for stainless steel. Year by year, his knowledge has become more specialized and much deeper. He is better able to do the important work the world needs done, but in learning to do it, he's necessarily lost some of the broad and enthusiastic scope he once had. These are the early stories of the early days of science fiction. Radar hadn't been invented. We missed that idea. But while these stories don't have the finesse of later work, they have a bounding enthusiasm that belongs with a young field, designed for and built by young men. Most of the writers of those early stories were, like myself, college students. For old-timers in science fiction, these are typical of the days when the field was starting. They've got a fine flavor of our own younger enthusiasm. For new readers of science fiction, these have the stuff that laid the groundwork of today's work. They're the stories that were meant for young imaginations, for people who wanted to think about the world they had to build in the years to come. 
Along about 16 to 19, a young man has to decide what it is, for him, the job that needs doing, and get ready to get in and pitch. If he selects well, selects with understanding and foresight, he'll pick a job that does need doing, one that will return rewards and satisfaction as well as money. No other man can pick that for him. He must choose the job that he feels fitting. Crystal balls can be bought fairly reasonably, but they don't work well. History books can be bought even more cheaply, and they're moderately reliable. But they don't work as well as predicting machines, because the world is changing too rapidly. The world today, for instance, needs engineers desperately. There are a lot of jobs that the nation would like to get done that can't even be started. Not enough engineers available. Fifty years ago, the engineering student was sort of a second-class citizen of the college campus. Today the liberal arts are fighting for a comeback the pendulum having swung considerably too far in the other direction. So science fiction has a very real function to the teenagers. It represents varying ideas of what the world in which he will live his adult life will be interested in. This is 1953. My son will graduate in 1955. The period of his peak earning power should be when he's about 40 to 60, about 1970, say, to 1990. With the progress being made in understanding the health and physical vigor, it's apt to run beyond 2000 A.D., however. Anyone want to bet that people will be living in the same general circumstances then? That the same general social and cultural material standards will apply? I have a hunch that the history books are a poor way of planning life today, and that science fiction comes a lot closer. There's another thing about science fiction yarns that's quite conspicuous. It's so difficult to pick out the villains. It might have made quite a change in history if the ballads and tales of the old days had been a little less sure of who the villains were. Read the standard boy's literature of forty years ago, tales of crusaders who were always right, and the Saracens who were always wrong. Life's much simpler in a thatched cottage than in a dome on the airless moon, easier to understand when the villains are all pure, black-hearted villains and the heroes are all pure, white-souled heroes. Just look how simple history is compared with science fiction. It's simple, but is it good? These are the early science fiction tales explored in the universe. They were probings, speculations, as to where we could go, what we could do. They had a sweep and a reach and exuberance that belonged. They were fun, too. End of introduction. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah. VoiceOver-Solutions.com.